Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Emma. Hi, Brittany. So people love to hate rich people, which we've talked about a lot in the show. That's that's a big you know theme when we talk about socialism, communism. People just love to hate the wealthy. And part of the reason for this hate is that people believe the rich have too much money, that they need to be forced, you know, through taxes to mm-hmm. give some of their money to the less fortunate. And, you know, that, that's that's rooted in some good intentions, right? People want to take care of people, but eh, it doesn't always go that way. So Senator Elizabeth Warren, she's been a big proponent of this, like, billionaire tax, this taxing the wealthy. So is Senator Sanders. And people seem to think that basically they have the right to everyone else's money. Mm-hmm. And Warren even chastised people. She's like, how dare you buy yachts, which are expensive boats, and, and jewelry when, you know, when they're well, women and children and families going without food. But there's a big problem with this. And the first one is telling people how they should spend their own money is not okay. That's that's not how we foster an individualist society. Mm-hmm. And second, when billionaires and millionaires are allowed to spend their money how they want, sometimes they use it to actually make our lives better. And, and we've talked about that with entrepreneurship, you know. And recently, Elon Musk, who we love, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, they've all used their money. And these are all rich men. I'll get into what they do in a minute. Um, they've been using their own money to to race to make space tourism a thing. And mm-hmm. space tourism is like, you know, you and your family take a take a plane ride to Hawaii or something. Well, imagine taking a rocket ship into space and back. I mean, <laughs> this is something that has never been done before. It's it's crazy to think about it. It makes me think of like futuristic cartoons like the Jetsons, yes, which the our Jetsons. listeners probably don't even know what that oh. is. I'm surprised they haven't rebooted it into a terrible new show yet. <laughs> they will. Now <laughs> they, they will. will. Now that you said Give that. it time. So last summer, Elon Musk made history when his SpaceX rocket completed its first successful mission. And that was so fun to watch, especially mm-hmm. since the whole world was dealing with COVID and protests. So that was the first space ex- uh, expedition to be mostly private. And I want to make sure that that is, is very clear because NASA did play a role. The government did play a role, but it was the first one that was in any way, shape or form private. So then we have uh, Jeff Bezos, who is the CEO and founder of Amazon, and Richard Branson, who's the founder of Virgin Airlines. And honestly, he's a serial entrepreneur. Listeners might remember Mm -hmm. we did an episode on him before, so we'll link that. You can go look at all the things he started. He's amazing. But they decided to start their own space missions. And Branson's was called Virgin Galactic Holdings, which very original. All his stuff has has Virgin. (laughs) It's like, all right, think of a new name. And then Bezos was Blue Origin LLC Rocket, and they both launched within two weeks of each other. And obviously, a lot of us were very excited about this, right? Yeah. Because this is two men proving, or three men, proving that they can all go to space. This means that we could go to space sooner than we ever imagined it happening. And now, it wouldn't be cheap. I believe they've estimated that the tickets are going to be like 250000 a ticket at first, <laughs> right? But we don't know what will happen yeah. later. But not everyone was as excited as people like you and I are, Emma. So do you want to tell us a little bit about people's reactions to this space, billionaire space race, as I call oh, it? Oh, yes. Yeah, Twitter was not not happy about this. Lots of uh, politicians and people weighing in and saying this is super unfair. Um, a former employee of Bill Clinton during the Clinton presidency in the 90s, um, his name was Separ- Secretary Robert Reich. Gosh, that's a mouthful. Um, he tweeted that no one needs Bezos to launch rockets into outer space. We need to pay. We need him to pay his fair share of taxes so people can thrive here on Earth. And then Bernie Sanders added, he he retweeted it and (laughs) added his own two cents. Of course, he's going to be in on this one. He said, here on earth, the richest country on the planet, 
Half our people live paycheck to paycheck. People are struggling to feed themselves, struggling to see a doctor. But hey, the richest guys in the world are off in outer space. Yes, it's time to tax the billionaires. So that's that's another you know thing that got thrown in there. Bernie Sanders saying that billionaires shouldn't even exist. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, surprise, surprise. And people seem to think that if people aren't forced to spend their money on helping the less fortunate, that they shouldn't be allowed to spend it on other stuff, or just that they won't even care to, to donate or to help other people, which is completely false. So to these people, they don't see the possibility of billionaires taking these risks to pioneer something great like space travel. And it reminds me of Bastiat, who um, who was a French economist. He He's the one who wrote The Law, which if you've ever read The Tuttle Twins Learn About The Law, that's what that's based off of, his book. Um, he talked about false philanthropy. And this is basically the idea that people like to take other people's money through taxation to put it into government programs and then brag about how virtuous they are. And Bastiat said that the state is that great fiction by which everyone tries to live at the expense of everyone else. And basically, he's saying, um, you know, the state, which is the government, forces people to spend their money in maybe ways that they wouldn't have normally just so that everyone can feel good about themselves and we can pat ourselves on the back and say we're solving all these problems even if we're not really solving them which unfortunately when you look at the government and how it works most of the time overwhelmingly (laughs) these things do not work even though everyone likes to use them to to make us feel all good about what we're accomplishing exactly and you know that would be bad enough on its own but there is another problem with this hatred of the wealthy and emma when you use a fork each night at dinner i hope you use a fork it depends on what you're eating (laughs) do you think of yourself as being you know a privileged upper class you know person bathing in the lap of luxury as they say not unless I'm eating pizza. If I ate pizza with a fork, that'd be pretty weird. Well, but. you know, I don't believe in the death penalty, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. So there was once a time when using a fork was viewed as very lavish and unnecessary, as you know, just as private space travel is, is looked at today. And economist Ludwig von Mises, who we've talked about in episodes before, he wrote, uh, wrote about this in his book, Liberalism. And he talks about a Venetian woman who married a very rich man during the Middle Ages. And she used what was an early version of the fork. And the people were so enraged by this, they called her lavish and godless. And then she, right? And then she later died of an illness, and people were cheering because they believed it was her punishment for being what kids call today bougie, which is like bourgeoisie, which means like fancy, basically. (laughs) It was, that reminds me of um, real quick The Little Mermaid, how she's like combing her hair with a fork. With the fork, dingle hopper. She's like, it's a dingle hopper. Yes, that's That's probably what they called it back then. (laughs) That is. So, and as Mises points out, and I love this quote, the luxury of today is the necessity of tomorrow. Now, people may not think that forks, you know, were were only, sorry, people may have thought that forks were only for the mega rich back then, but today, everybody uses a fork you know maybe not maybe not a homeless person but even then I still I think I see them using silverware sometimes yeah yeah it's the same thing with indoor plumbing it used to be only the wealthiest of the wealthy who had access to indoor bathrooms and now everyone in the developed world has access it's not like some some fancy feature if you're renting a house or buying a house they say oh by the way there's indoor plumbing they don't list that as a feature because it's become so common but that used to be only for the super super wealthy. 
Exactly. And, you know, the luxury items start with the rich, but they eventually eventually trickle down to regular people like you and I, because I don't think you and I are billionaires. Maybe someday. <laughs> um, you know, when the first car came out, people couldn't understand why anyone would need it, right? It was a toy for the rich. There was no necessity for it. Mm-hmm. Then Henry Ford comes along, and we've done an episode on him as well, and he creates, you know, this production line. He found a way. It's called Economies of Scale. I'll, I'll link to that episode as well. He found a way for the common person to be able to afford cars by being able to make more of them with with cheaper supplies, basically. So now people rely on their cars, you know, for their daily life. They drive to school, they drive to work, they go to their doctor's appointments. None of this would have been possible unless the wealthy had pioneered it first. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of another Mises quote where he said, "Every advance first comes into being as the luxury of a few rich people, only to become, after time, the indispensable necessity taken for granted by everyone." And boy, that sounds exactly like what we were just saying with with indoor plumbing and with toilets. It's like that used to be such an unthinkable luxury. And now you cannot imagine not having a toilet in your house. What oh my would goodness, you do? No. Yeah, you don't, even wanna, yeah. you don't even want to want to think <laughs> about that. So it's it's just, you know, the more things progress and the more things move on, the more luxurious our lives become. So we might not be able to see how space travel and getting in a rocket and going up into into the atmosphere will become a future necessity for us right now. But no one back in the day could understand how a fork or a car or a toilet would would be so important to our daily lives. And Mises also said that luxury consumption provides industry the stimulus to discover and introduce new things. To it, we owe the progressive innovations by which the standard of living of all strata of the population had been gradually raised. And but just the meaning of strata of the population basically means like people from all different economic statuses and all different walks of life. Yeah. And just to expand on that a little more. So basically what he's saying is all the things that have raised our standard of living, right? Everybody having indoor plumbing now, everybody being able to have a car or most people, there's obviously some people who can't, but people using forks, you know, when they eat, all of this has become possible because rich people were able to use this first because they took the financial risk to use it. You know, iPods used to be that way. I remember there was a kid in my senior year, which was many, many moons ago, who had an iPod and we were just like, oh, what a rich kid. Like nobody just had yeah. an iPod, right? I had like a Costco yeah. brand that could fit like 10 songs on it and I thought yeah. that was cool. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're very lucky. And I think it's so funny because we see all these people constantly berating or, or you know, chastising mm-hmm. these rich people. And you have to think, like, that's how you get everything you have. And, you know, yeah. maybe like you said, Emma, maybe we don't know today how space travel is going to benefit us tomorrow. I don't like to imagine, you know, a future where we can't live on Earth anymore. I know that's Elon Musk's big thing that we need yeah. to look for other planets. but. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, maybe we will. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like you said, the the more time goes on, the more luxury items become just a thing that most people have. And that's not to say that everybody gets those things, but it becomes a lot more accessible and a lot more affordable. Like a color TV back when those first oh, came yeah. out cost a fortune compared to what they cost now. It's, it's, or even like you said, computers. an iPod or yeah, computers like, yeah. or an iPod. When I was in high school, that was kind of when iPhones were first starting to come onto the scene. And like you said, the only kids who had iPhones were like the rich kids who, you know, they got whatever they wanted or, yep. oh, wow, did you see so-and-so? So, and now, you know, I see most of, most teenagers have iPhones. It's crazy to me. <laughs> it is crazy. It's, it's kind of weird to me, but 
you know, as time goes on, those things become more accessible for everybody. And, you know, as long as the government is not coming in and getting involved and ruining it, uh, it tends to naturally progress that way because technology becomes more um, accessible and you you can get these things out to more people and it costs less and there's innovation and there's new things coming out that are more expensive. So the old things cost a little less. So it's not something to be scared of when, you know, the billionaires are, are going into space and you talked about the economies of scale and that sort of thing. Um, they're, they're creating a lot of jobs for people. It takes a lot of people to get a plane or get a whatever it is, a rocket into space with Jeff Bezos sitting on it. Yes. So he's he is actually stimulating the economy and creating a lot more jobs than some, you know, giant tax that would have taken away all that money would have. It's it's that's how the world works. And, you know, that's what this, hey, podcast, that's the name is of this called. podcast is. Yep. There we go. <laughs> Shouting out the name of the podcast. And the more we allow for those things to happen, the more opportunity there will be and also the greater access to these new technologies and luxuries we're going to have. Yeah. And I think, honestly, you know, we should be thanking people like – I almost said Bill Gates. That's not who I meant to say. Uh, Jeff <laughs> Bezos, you know. We shouldn't be angry at these billionaires for doing things like traveling to space. We should pat them on the back and say thank you and realize that so many of these innovations we have are because of them. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, Be sure to check out the show notes. We will put in some info on how these things happen and some more info on Mises and Bastiat because they're great guys to read into. Uh, But thanks for listening and we will talk to you all again soon. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.